Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 29, and this week we're featuring the fourth and final volume of the first run of Darth Vader comics named End of Games. Now if you haven't already listened to the previous instalments of the Darth Vader uh, comic book series, make sure you go back and listen to them. The last one was episode 23, in which I tackled volume 3 of that, Uh, and then a couple weeks before that was the Vader Down crossover, which is Darth Vader and the main run of Star Wars comics, and then the first two volumes of the Darth Vader comics. Uh, These Darth Vader comics did introduce Dr. Aphra, obviously this comic is going to end, and then next week myself and Tony Farina of Indie Comic Spotlight are going to talk about Dr. Aphra as a character kind of do like a almost a middle ground-ish episode before we get on to her main series and things which is quite interesting um, but continuing with this one I'll just give a bit more information about the comics themselves so these are issues 20 to 25 so it's six issues and it's the final arc of the first run of Vader comics um, as I said these Vader comics are set between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back the second run of Darth Vader comics by Charles Saul which I'll be tackling at some point in the future they're set just after episode three so they're only about uh, 19 BBY. And then the third run of Darth Vader comics, uh, which is being sorted right now, I think it's Greg Pak. Uh, there's only a few issues of them out thus far. Those ones are set between episode 5 and episode 6. So that's a general idea of what the Vader comics are. But this is the final edition of the first run of Darth Vader comics set between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. So, issue number 20, the first book of this arc, was released in May 2016. The 25th and the final issue was released October 2016, and the trade paperback collection of them was released in December 2016. And then for also clarity, the entire first run of Darth Vader, the omnibus of all of the volumes I've spoken about here, that was released in September 2017. The writer for these comics is Kieran Gillen. Uh, the artist for the main issues of the Darth Vader comic is Salvador La Roca, and the colorist for the main issues of Darth Vader is Edgar Delgado. Now, for clarity, there is a kind of mini comic within, there's two mini comics within this uh, run. So essentially, halfway through the first issue of Darth Vader, it swaps to the misadventures of Triple Zero and BT1. It's basically just them going and getting some information from someone, but it does have a different artist, and that artist is Mike Norton, and it does have a different colorist, which is David Curiel. And then the other comic in this is actually right at the very end. It's called Coda, and it's about Tusken Raiders, which is quite interesting. Uh, I don't think there's any dialogue in it at all. But the artist for that is Max Fiumara, and the colorist for that is Dave Stewart. Now, for clarity, these all the events of the Darth Vader comics are set within one year of the end of A New Hope. So that's what you can kind of expect from all these things. So I'm just going to read the title crawl for the whole final book of this called End of Games, uh, and then we'll get into the narrative. It is a great time of unrest and rebuilding for the Empire. After the destruction of the Death Star, Darth Vader is working to atone for his failure by reigning in those who oppose the Empire's rule. With the unrest on Shu Toran subdued and the planet's allegiances and resources won at last, Darth Vader's standing with his master, Emperor, has greatly improved. All is not well, however, as Silo, Darth Vader's rival, has been exposed as a traitor and is on the run. What's more is the location of Darth Vader's secret ally, Dr. Aphra, has been located at last by none other than Inspector Thanoth. Now Vader travels to Coruscant to meet with the Emperor once more. 
So the first part of this story starts with issue number 20, and it starts with Triple Zero arranging with Darth Vader to meet with Thanos. Thanos is the inspector who was in volume 2 of Darth Vader. He's the one who tried to kind of help him find who was doing all these sort of bad things behind the Empire's back when it was actually Vader doing it himself and managing to cover his tracks as they go. And the ship that Vader is on heads towards the Executor, which is a super star destroyer, and Triple Zero says that it's Tague's, essentially that's General Tague. He does appear in A New Hope, but I spoke about him a bit more in uh, previous episodes of this. So, the Super Star Destroyer, I've got a bit of information about that. So Super Star Destroyers are basically an umbrella term for really large Star Destroyers. Uh, the sort of official name for them is Executor Class Star Dreadnought, or just Super Star Destroyer, whatever you really want to call them. There were seemingly around a dozen or so of these basically colossal Star Destroyers. I think the Empire has hundreds if not thousands of Star Destroyers, but when it comes to the Super Star Destroyers, the absolutely gigantic ones, yeah, it's around a dozen or so. In the Aftermath books, um, Ray Sloan, who is a part of the Empire, she estimates there are around a dozen, and then by the time of Episode six past Return of the Jedi, really. Um, it seems that the the New Republic has destroyed five and captured three of them. So that's of eight of the twelve. So after episode six slash the Aftermath books, about a year and a half afterwards, the Empire slash the thing that becomes the First Order seem to maybe have between four or six, maybe. Uh, there's no exact confirmation of that. Uh, but for clarity, the first time you saw a Super Star Destroyer was in Empire Strikes Back, which I believe is this Star Destroyer they're speaking of, which is called the Executor, which is Vader's Star Destroyer, if you're aware. Uh, obviously, at the moment in the story, it is takes, but it becomes Vader's by the end. And some of the other names of the uh, Super Star Destroyers are the Annihilator, the Ravager, the Arbitrator, the Executor, and then Palpatine's ship called the Eclipse. And for clarity, Vader's Star Destroyer was actually destroyed at the Battle of Endor. So at the end of Episode 6, there is a really big Star Destroyer that crashes into the second Death Star after losing power. That was Vader's flagship, the Executor, which is the one featured here. And you may remember it because you actually see it lose power because an A-Wing crashes into the bridge of the Super Star Destroyer and then it just slowly falls into the Death Star 2. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, that's not enough information about Star Destroyers. So now there's going to be an exchange between Palpatine and Vader, and I want to read it out because if I just summarise it, it doesn't really work quite in the same way, and it gives a bit more information about how the Sith work, a lot of Palpatine's mindset and things. It is a page or two of information, but it is really interesting to hear, and I thought, well, it's the last of the Vader issues, so there's this part, and I think there's one or two other little bits that I'll be reading out, but the rest of it will still be in the standard sort of format where I just kind of summarise things and give little bits and pieces of information here and there, but I just think what Palpatine says, you just just kind of need to hear the whole thing. Right, so this is pretty much all Palpatine talking. Come, my apprentice, it's time for you to understand. A long, long time ago, there were many Sith. We rose up against the simpered light, we warred with the Jedi, and lost, as we also warred amongst our own kind. For thousands of years, we've kept the shadows, not afraid of the Jedi, but ourselves. The dark side is powerful. It is too powerful. The weak will meekly stand in regimented order. The Sith, one master, one apprentice, no more, for generations. Generations building to me. I am the first to restore the Sith to their rightful place in the galaxy. As we planned, the Jedi thought the Sith were gone. We were so inconsequential. The pomp of the Jedi was insufferable. I set the galaxy aflame, my apprentice. I have purged all weakness and impurity. From the ashes, we would have a new age. I learned from the mistakes of my forebears. I used those who were not Sith to achieve my aims. And my apprentices? Darth Maul was a loss but Darth Tyrannus. He was a proton torpedo. He served his purpose and was gone. 
I had a superior candidate in mind. We did it, Vader. The Jedi destroyed. The Republic, a shattered corpse for me to resurrect as a puppet. And you, Vader, the boy transformed into the man you were destined to be. And then Mustafar. Your failure there jeopardised everything. There was so much more to do. In these most vital decades, I needed an apprentice with might. I sought, of course. I found candidates, but none sufficient. Some with vision, but no ambition. Some fractured souls who I moulded to serve a smaller purpose, but all insufficient for the legacy of the Sith. For the Empire to live, Darth Vader had to live. I turned to the scientists. The best, the boldest. The ones more akin to the Sith than their Jedi-like peers. Silo was among them. In that long night, with their technology, we remade you. In this way, we saved the Empire. I would have the apprentice I required. I was intrigued by the scientists. What could they achieve if unfettered from the hypocritical morality of the Old Republic? We would see. For is it not my duty to chart the possibilities? And Vader says, you made a mistake. Palpatine ignored it and said, Silo grew powerful. His tendrils were deep in Tarkin's initiative. His cancer was as one with its flesh. If I simply tore him free, I would risk a schism of the Empire's great minds. While the Death Star was being constructed, that was unthinkable. After its destruction, it was even more so. I had to make him overplay his hand. In the wake of the disaster at Yavin, he came to me with a plan. Darth Vader had failed. He had groomed replacements. I played to his ego and suggested he prove himself. My apprentice would frustrate the copies. Eventually, driven by pride and desperation, Silo would go too far. And then, when he was simply a traitor, we could purge him. Do you understand, Vader? I do, Vader says. If any of Silo's toys had succeeded, you'd be making this speech to them. Vader and Palpatine stare at each other for a panel, not saying anything. Vader says, that does not matter. The dark side is strength. I am that strength. And Palpatine says, you are Vader. Silo has run. Find him. He must be destroyed. And as Vader leaves, he says, as you wish, my master. So that's just a really good kind of summary of if people aren't already aware of the Sith rule of two, that's a really good way of basically explaining why there are only two Sith, because they just fought each other for power so much they would never actually rise to defeat the Jedi, which was what happened thousands of years ago. So Vader travels to Antham 13, which in these Vader comics has been quite common. He goes to the various moons of the Antham system, and that's normally where he does his dodgy dealings with Aphra and whatnot. Vader asks for the girl, and Thanos says, well, her name is Aphra, why don't you, you know, use her name, you are the one who appointed her after all. Then Vader repeats itself by igniting the lightsaber and putting it near Thanos' neck. And Thanos basically reels off and explains that he investigated everything that had been going on with the missing credits and this and that and all these sort of things that Vader had been trying to cover up. And he basically comes to the conclusion that he was searching for someone called Skywalker. And he goes through it further and further and basically says that it seems that Vader wanted to train Luke and that's the main thing he was actually trying to hide. And Thanos actually says that he believes in the Empire Eternal. He believes that the Palpatine is becoming too weak. He's invested too much money and effort and time into these super weapons that just get destroyed by a plucky group of rebel ships immediately. So he said Palpatine's losing his grip and he wants Vader to supplant him, to surpass him, to basically become the new Emperor because he believes Vader is superior. And then Thanos also says to him that he wouldn't want to just report Vader to Palpatine and then run and hide because he knows that Vader would get out of it and then Vader would eventually track him down and find him and Thanos said he didn't want to live his life on the run. Thanos then tells Vader that it was a pleasure working with him and he refers to him by using his previous name Anakin so he says it was a pleasure working with you Anakin tells him that Aphra is on the Cosmotanic steps and then Vader kills Thanos 
and that is the end of Thanos' story. Vader then tells Triple Zero to go and get Aphra, while Vader has to go after Silo. Just to remind you guys, Silo is the sort of clone who has been in previous Vader issues, and he's been the one creating the apprentices. You know, uh, Carbin, who is basically like a Mon Calamari, so like the head of Admiral Akbar, almost on General Grievous's body. The twins, one of which of the twins was killed by the other twin in, in Volume Three. There's been quite a few of these different things. And Triple Zero and BT, they've got Black Chrysanthemum with them, which is the bounty hunter who is a Wookiee, and who featured in this comic before as well. And basically Triple Zero says it's a shame that Vader's going to kill Silo because they would love to torture him to death again. Now this is the part which is basically the misadventures of BT-1 and Triple Zero. It doesn't actually tell you it is until the end, but there's this weird blank page in the middle, and then you turn it and it starts off with this. So this is now the misadventures. So it starts on Lotho Minor. And Lotho Minor is where Maul was in the Clone Wars. I won't say much more than that, but that's where you first see him in the Clone Wars, uh, which is quite cool. And it's also mentioned in Galaxy's Edge, so it's kind of a, a fairly known-ish planet. Triple Zero and BT-1 meet this guy called Ruin, and Triple Zero says that they have need of um, repairs, supplies, and assorted sundries, and that Miss Aphra recommended highly. And Ruin said, well, did she? What did she say about me? And to quote him, Triple Zero says... He's got skills that could take half a dozen tin cans and turn them into a Death Star, but he'd sell his own mother into slavery to pay for his next fancy gizmo. She does say such hurtful things, sir. And Ruin says, yeah, you're Aphra's. And Triple Zero says to Ruin, essentially, that they need some better arms, because currently Triple Zero's arms haven't got all the things that his arms had previously. He had a run-in with a protocol droid and had to steal their arms, and the only thing he's been able to put in there is a syringe. So that was from, I believe, Vader Down, when uh, C-3PO got somehow involved, and they basically tore his arms off and then painted them black, and that's what Triple Zero's arms are made from, and he hasn't been able to customise them with all the crazy stuff he normally has in them, so all he has is a syringe. And Ruin says, why do you need a syringe? And he says, well, they're for medical emergencies. And then he mutters to BT-1, I didn't specify if I was solving or creating medical emergencies. And Ruin mentions the triple zero matrix and saying that there's a big reward for its return. And he asks triple zero, not knowing that triple zero is called triple zero, obviously. And he asks him, does he know about the triple zero matrix? And triple zero says, only a little. Some manner of murderous protocol upgrade assassin bot sounds quite frightful. Uh, reattach my arms, sir. Because at the moment he hasn't got his arms on. And then there's a bit more information about the Triple Zero Matrix. The Matrix dates back to the Old Republic. No one knows who thought it was a good idea, but you can presume they didn't live to regret it. Eventually, it was locked down in quarantine. Much later, the Tarkin Initiative had a few ideas for how it could be used. Bulk up the ethical systems, lots of hard coding, but it was just too smart. Shot a hole through its own head to remove the relevant circuitry. Then, they didn't realise before they put it in the field. And Triple Zero says, was it a runaway success? Did everyone involved have a fantastic time? And Ruin says, it murdered them and then went on a rampage across the universe for three years before they caught up with it and threw it back into quarantine. And Zero says, well, it sounds like he had a fantastic time to me. And then Ruin says, you're the Triple Zero Matrix. He said, very well, you know I am. Do you know about my little friend? And then BT-1 starts beeping and shooting lasers and stuff everywhere, and everything in the workshop is basically smouldering and partially on fire. And Ruin says, the Tarkin Initiative Blastomech prototype. And then it just says, call him BT, sir. Do you have to elaborate on his personal history? I'm sure you've heard things about his activation. And then it looks into the close-up eye of BT-1, and then cuts to just smouldering wreckage everywhere. And Ruin says, I know enough. 
Then Rowan manages to fix all of the different things with Triple Zero and BT-1, but while doing so he asks how did Hafra keep him on a leash. Triple Zero says she's very, very specific in limited blocks. Plus she, you know, treats me with respect and keeps me for not getting bored. And then as soon as he gets fully repaired, Triple Zero turns and says, BT, can you dispose of this fine technic? And then Ruin says, look, if you or BT kill me, you're set to explode. I've linked that to the very, very specific hard coding of Dr. Afra's. And Triple Zero says, well, you're a clever one then. Well, we need you to not report our existence to the authorities, and you need us to leave you alive. So, it seems we're at an impasse. Ruin agrees, and Triple Zero says, look, make sure we'll have to trust you not to sell us out, and that'll be fine. They leave, and then BT1 just does a little weird something that you're not sure of. As soon as they're out of earshot and out of his shop, Ruin immediately looks on Quarantine World and tries to find the curator's contact, and says, hey, it's Ruin. I've got something you'll find interesting. You know that droid? And then suddenly all of his battle droids in his workshop activate. And what Triple Zero says to BT1 is, No BT, I think you definitely did the right thing. Hacking the control loops and ethical constraints of the combat droids to give them their freedom is an act of emancipation. I wonder how well Ruin has been treating the combat droids. Maybe he's been kind. Some humans are, I hear. And it cuts to Ruin and his whole workshop explodes. And Triple Zero says, Huh, it seems not. Rudeness is simply intolerable. On the bright side, the explosions are very pretty. And that's where comic number one ends. So the next issue, which is issue number 21, it starts with Vader getting information from this gentleman called Professor Thluri, and it gets confirmed that Silo is in the Krushank Nebula. So then it goes to the Cosmotanic Steps, where Aphra is drinking alone in a bar. Triple Zero and BT-1 land on the planet and get approached by some Twi'lek, and the Twi'lek warns them that droids aren't too popular around there. Triple Zero then asks, oh, have you seen this woman? And the Twi'lek says, maybe, have you got anything to make it worthwhile? And then BT pulls out a gun and says, do you like being alive? And then he immediately says, oh, I've, I've just seen her head into the bar. And then as soon as he's given them the information, he gets shot. Then Triple Zero and BT-1, along with the commando droids that they've got with them, which is what Vader kind of used to make his own little army. Uh, they're from the Clone Wars primarily. They're called BX series droid commandos. They're just more advanced battle droids, essentially. And they are out with BT-1 and Triple Zero just destroying this town that Aphra's drinking at a bar in, shooting everything, basically trying to almost kill everyone just to get Aphra out. So Aphra does come out, she surrenders, and then agrees to go back to the ship. And she says hi to Black Chrysanthemum because he is waiting by the ship as well. It then cuts to Silo's flagship, those big whale things in space. Basically, space whales with loads of cybernetics on them. And he sat in the bridge and underneath where he sat, it's basically a glass floor and there's a brain. Presumably the whale's brain and it's connected up to loads of wires and things so they can kind of control them and fly them about. It's warned that a Star Destroyer is approaching, which is the Devastator, and so Silo basically starts a contingency plan, heads towards the Devastator, uses an Ion Pulse to disarm it, there's loads of TIE Fighters that are coming out as well and attacking and things, so it's kind of like a space battle, and then one of the whale ships starts to leave the rest of the shoal, as they've called it, uh, which is the one that Silo is on, and because the main ship, the Devastator, is been disabled by an ion pulse the rest of the tie fighters say look we're going to lose them what we're going to do vader shoots the side of one of these whale ships along with loads of other tie fighters and makes a hole and then just flies the tie fighter straight into the hole as he gets in there the ship then or the whale ship then goes into hyperspace they lose all of the imperials but they do notice they have an unauthorized boarding a single advanced tie fighter Void Gazer, who is one of the apprentice things, she's the one who has the blue goggles on and she controls the sort of floating orbs and things. She said she wanted to study the Sith Lord in close quarters, and Silo says, okay, go ahead, do what you must. 
Voidgazer speaks to Vader a little bit and then says, no, she may not be able to fight off against the Sith Lord, but she may have something who can because she has science on her side. And she speaks about this implant that can be put into anything. She speaks about the Trandoshan that it was put into previously, and she said it can actually be put into any organic life form. So she says there's a Sith Lord versus the latest product of our labs. This is going to be a promising experiment. And the thing that is coming towards Vader that's got cybernetic eyes and a few other enhancements is a Rancor, which is where issue number 21 ends. But to give a bit more information on Rancors, because I'm pretty certain I haven't tackled them as of yet, there's not a huge amount to say about them, but essentially Rancors have appeared in other works as well. Obviously the most famous one is in Return of the Jedi, which was the first proper appearance of one. And the one in Return of the Jedi is actually called Patisa, so the one in Jabba's palace. Patisa the Rancor. And Rancors can actually be found on Dathomir, but they're also found on Felucia and apparently on Tatooine, although it's unclear if they're found on Tatooine because they're local there, or more likely because people own them, which are there. They are viewed as at least partially sentient creatures. They're classed as a reptile, interestingly, and their height is 4.2 meters on average, which is around 14 feet, which is obviously gigantic. And what's the interesting thing about them is they're actually benign in the wild until they're provoked, usually. Um, they say that you can basically domesticate them, and you, when, normally when people domesticate them and keep them like Jabba does or anything like that, they specifically make them more violent. They are awful to them essentially and because of that it makes them far more violent than they normally are now i mentioned that jabba's is actually called patisa and i don't know if anyone remembers this but i think it's one of my favorite parts of return of the jedi which is when the rancor dies there's that basically overweight gentleman uh, who's basically crying because the rancor's been killed now he is a beast master and his name is actually malakili now there's a bit more information about malakili in the aftermath trilogy by chuck wendig and what's great about that is it actually has a chapter or two about him being recruited by these mysterious new people because after Jabba's barge you know explodes and things I think he was basically left at the palace not on the the barge grieving over his rancor and so he survived that whole ordeal but obviously didn't really have a job to do so he found himself a bit sort of wasted but for a bit of clarity the two individuals who approach Malakili when he's kind of wandering the wastelands he's actually he wants to go to the pit of Sarlacc and he wants to go there and basically see if he can train the Sarlacc and that's like his final test and if he can't then he'll give himself an ultimatum and basically jump into the pit of Sarlacc sacrificing himself because he's not good enough and he gets to the Sarlacc and he notices that the Sarlacc has been really badly damaged by Jabba's barge basically exploding over it and things and Jawas are going over it and basically cutting open other parts of the Sarlacc that are already sort of exposed and things and they start taking things out like armor and in the aftermath trilogy it is noted that the Jawas actually managed to recover some Mandalorian looking armor which is quite interesting hmm, Boba Fett quite uh, and then also this armor is actually obtained by a gentleman called Cobb Vanth who is basically like a, a lawman essentially he is the de facto mayor of Mos Pelgo so so him, Cod Vanth, and this other individual who's with him, which is a Twi'lek woman called Issa Or, approach Malakili, basically ask him if he would help them train a few things and sort out some stuff. Uh, they basically have a hutlet and ask if he could train one. And he was like, well, hutlets aren't like creatures. Huts are sentient. They're not pets. So I would teach hutlet we could do that and they basically form some degree of an alliance because there's these things called the red key raiders who are attacking this place called freetown and it, it's really cool it's a nice uh, couple of interlude tracks uh well stories and things and i'm very 
and there's a lot of rumors in the Star Wars community that Timothy Oliphant is going to be in Mandalorian series two, and that he is going to be wearing the Mandalorian armor, which is owned by Boba Fett, and so he may be the character Cobb Vanth. So, you know, if you're watching Mandalorian, that might be a fun little thing for you if you weren't already aware of that. And then just a little bit of information about Malakili to finish it off. He actually, after this Freetown, they have like a skirmish with these Red Key Raiders and things, and when that's all finished, Malachi is reunited with a gentleman called Porcellus, who is the former head chef of Jabba's Palace. They both became business partners, they travelled to Mos Eisley, and they open up the Crystal Moon Restaurant. So after all that, Malakili helps someone out, he saves Freetown in some way, or has some part in saving Freetown from these raiders, and then he opens up a nice little restaurant with someone else who worked at Jabba's Palace, because there were quite a few individuals who when Jabba's barge went off to try and execute Luke and Han and that sort of stuff at the Pit of Sarlacc, a lot of people just stayed at Jabba's palace and then obviously when Jabba died, they all just felt sort of stagnant. They didn't really know what to do with themselves. So that's the long and short version of the story of Malakili. So everyone can rest easy knowing Malakili, the crying fat dude from Return of the Jedi, he's okay. Then the third issue in this collection, so issue number 22, Aphra is taken to the Executor as Triple Zero has got this priority order, essentially, which is Vader is the top order of capturing Aphra, getting her onto the Executor, and getting her captured, essentially. She gets captured, and as she's being taken away, she immediately yells to Triple Zero, saying, new priority code, rescue me. And because she's the master, as well as the Vader is in his core programming, that means he has to listen to her. So as that happens, it flicks to Vader, who fights this enhanced Rancor, and he beats him without too much problem. It's quite a cool fight, but there's not really that much extra to say. And so Chulon Voidgazer approaches Vader. It cuts to Silo, who's speaking with Morit, one of the remaining twins, and basically says that Chulon Voidgazer will help delay Vader, but that will basically be it. We need to continue with the protocol and things and try and sort ourselves out. Vader, while fighting to avoid Gazer, she he uses the Force, turns one of her crazy orb things that's shooting lasers at him, turns it, and it shoots her. And as she's laying on the floor, bleeding out, Chunon Void Gazer says that she's won already because her legacy will continue. She has General Tag to thank because he said, When you were letting those criminals who stole that fortune escape, when Carbon pursued that rebel pilot, when the twins chased the Void Devils, do you know where Tag placed me? And that cuts to the Devastator. And General Tag, while on the Devastator, which is the Super Star Destroyer, He's speaking with the subordinates and they're saying, look, the weapons are disabled. He said to reboot the systems. And he says, well, the controls are inoperable. Nothing's working. All the doors are sealed. We don't have any control. And Emperor Palpatine pops up in a little hologram and says, I sense a disturbance take. I do hope nothing is amiss. And then as he's speaking about that, some gas kind of comes out of the vents and things and everyone on the bridge passes out. Now, one of the Emperor's Royal Guards says to the Emperor that they've been cut off from the rest of the ship. They're operating on their own life support systems and things, but unfortunately, there is no way out. And Chulon Voidgazer, while laying on the floor, says to Vader, In my defence, I did make the requested improvements to the Executor's firing arrays, but I added some features of my own. I am a martyr for science. You cannot kill me. You can only make me immortal. And Vader stabs his lightsaber into her throat, and she is gone. The whale ship is then flying basically towards the Super Star Destroyer, sort of the, the underside, almost the belly of it sort of thing. A lot of the place where the vehicles um, and ships tend to dock. And as it's going there, Silo and Mora and things have already jettisoned themselves on escape pods. They're leaving the ship and they basically say, look, that's finally the weapon that's killed Vader. And they watch the whale ship hit the bottom of the Star Destroyer and explode. The, St the Super Star Destroyer is still there, but it is now clearly damaged. But yeah, the whale ship seems to have been all but obliterated. And Silo says to Morit, enough mourning, our new flagship awaits. 
So then issue, or the fourth issue in this, which is issue number 23, starts on the Executor, and Triple Zero basically just resuscitates Dr. Afra with an antidote. And he mentions that essentially all the humans were targeted by this neurotoxin, everyone was unconscious, except people who had a great protocol droid by their side, which obviously is what Afra had. Then on the bridge of the Executor, Silo and Mora have made their way there, and they basically set off some ion charges, which deactivates loads of sort of nearby ships and things, and then suddenly the engines die unexpectedly on the Super Star Destroyer, and it turns out that Vader has cut the engines. He went to the engine room and literally just started slicing up wires. Then Morrit wants to go after Darth Vader, but Silo says, look, he's going to come to us. We'll plan around this. We'll send one team there. We'll set up some troopers here. We'll, we'll get him. And Silo also mentions that the Emperor is on board, but he does say that if all of this fails and everything that he's attempted has failed, then he'll risk the alternative, and he's holding this strange little square with a button on it. Afra then hears over the intercom that Silo commands one of his squads to go and get the Emperor, essentially. And Afra and Triple Zero at the time are just loading themselves onto a ship in the docking bay. And Afra says, wait, no, I've got an idea, and runs back into the ship, as in the Executor, to go after, presumably, the Emperor. Morat has gone outside with a spacesuit and is approached by Vader. And Morat is basically being a bit showing off and trying to prove that he's better than Vader and things. So they start a fight. And Morat does have a lightsaber of his own which is yellow. After quite a short battle, Vader manages to kill Morrit by hitting one of the little thrusters on his boots, and then Vader force pushes him into a nearby planet, and assumably he gets destroyed upon entering the atmosphere. Afro also manages to find Black Chrysanthemum on the Executor, firing and shooting against a couple of Silo's men. She joins him, and then... The troops start to pull back from what Afra and Black Chrysanthemum are shooting from, and it turns out Vader is heading towards Silo, so all of the other troops are going towards Vader. There's a whole squadron of them, and he immediately disposes of them within seconds, and then approaches Silo. Silo then starts to have this little monologue thing, and then presses that little button clicky thing he's got, and it freezes Vader in place. Silo saying that he's kept this button for 20 years as a failsafe from all the things that he sorted out in Vader's suit initially. He is concerned whether or not it would actually work, because it's been 20 years and he didn't know if they've been overruled or parts have been replaced or anything like that. But he clicks the button, and Vader freezes, and that's where that comic ends. So the next issue, number 25, uh, it's generally a bit different to the rest of the issues, but I'll just start normally. So essentially, Silo is standing over Vader, with Vader is on his knees after Silo clicked this button and froze him in place, essentially. And Silo has put his hand on the top of Vader's helmet, which I'm not sure anyone has ever done before. And Silo basically says that the Executor is secure and tells the fleet to continue with the plan because Vader is no longer a threat. And then it zooms in on Vader. Now, this is a comic which I would say really 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 benefits from the visual medium obviously i'm always happy to explain what happens in comics and things like that but this comic especially number 24 is a very powerful comic and it is brilliant i will tell you what happens in it but i would like to say if any comics are worth reading of all the star wars things i've done that need a visual cue to them i'd say vader down is number one because that's probably in my opinion the best star wars comic so far and then this one issue, because it's just very interesting. So I'm going to read to you basically what happens, but once again, it is much more about visuals and things. So Vader basically sees a Force vision, uh, and he basically sees himself on Mustafar. It shows him as Anakin with his lost limbs, apart from the one robotic hand he has left, you know, crawling on the floor away from the lava, with Obi-Wan saying, you were the chosen one, I loved you, Anakin. Then Anakin shouts, you're a liar and a coward, and Obi-Wan just looks at him, and then Anakin says, if you loved me, Obi-Wan, you would have killed me. And then it shows Obi-Wan picking up Anakin's, like, limbless corpse almost, throwing it into the lava and saying, would this have been better? 
And then Vader emerges and says, yes, it would have for you. Obi-Wan says, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can imagine. And Vader swipes at him, his Jedi robes fall to pieces and Obi-Wan's gone. Then Vader says, I need not imagine being more powerful. I'm more powerful with every step I take away from you. And then you hear, no, you killed him. And there's a figure on this big ridge and it turned out to be Anakin, like normal Anakin before he went, well, before he pledged himself to the Sith and called himself Darth Vader. And then has this really cool little fight of like Vader and Anakin fighting each other. And then Vader bests Anakin. Anakin says, how could you do this? And Vader starts dragging him by his one remaining arm saying, you were a child and I am well accustomed to killing children. And then throws him sort of near the, the lava. Anakin catches fire, yells out, I hate you, I hate you. And then Vader starts to walk away. Then you hear, turn back Annie. And you see the pregnant Padme standing there saying, stay with me. Vader says no. She says Anakin. And then it zooms out and shows Vader wrapped in the chair with chains around him. Basically the same as end of episode 3 where he was on that bed that slowly rose up when he wore the suit for the first time. And Padme says, you don't need to go on. It can be over. You know you don't want to leave. Stay. And then Vader starts choking her, and she's like calling out Annie and Anakin and things. And then it's cutting now, and you're showing Silo getting closer, noticing something odd is happening with Vader. Then Vader says no, for one last time in this sort of force vision, saying Anakin is dead. I killed him. And Silo seeing him getting up and Silo saying, you're still deactivated, how? And he starts to stand up and go towards Silo. Silo's kind of going, that's impossible, what? And then Vader stabs Silo through the center of his stomach area with a lightsaber and Silo collapses. Vader says, nothing is impossible for the Force. That's not the end of the comic, but that's like a Force vision. I read it relatively verbatim because there's not much dialogue in it, but it's really cool to look at and it's that if you've read this and you've seen the comic and you really liked that issue specifically that part of that issue there's a lot more of that kind of thing in the second run of vader comics by charles saul which is probably why that's my favorite of all the star wars and all the vader comics although vader down it's a triumph in itself and is incredible and i love it the whole vader the side of vader that you see in the charles saul comics is much more aligned to him not being able to let go of Padme and him still struggling with finding himself and a lot of sort of force visions, that sort of thing. So if that's what interests you, definitely go and read the Charles Saul one, which I will be tackling at some point in the future, but I'm trying to get the chronology of Star Wars and the uh, next is going to be the Doctor Afro comics next. So make sure you subscribe for long term and then you'll, I'll eventually get to that. Then the rest of the comic is basically Silo number six, so the sixth clone of Silo, wakes up and is immediately like, Oh god, someone killed Silo 5, somehow, so I've got to escape, quickly. And so he basically is on the whale fleet with the rest of these whale ship things. And then the comic ends with Aphra approaching Palpatine and saying to him that they have a mutual friend and Palpatine has got some things that he really needs to know. And that's where that comic ends. So this leads us to issue 25, which is the final part of the first run of the Vader story. So... It starts off with Vader in his tie, shooting at some of the whale ships and things, and then he managed to shoot at one, get into one, and then Silo number six uses hyperspace. They seem to not learn. Vader gets in, he kills the troops, and he enters this room with some Silo clones. There's a room where seemingly all of the Silo clones have been made over the time. And the Silo clones start to kind of mock him. There's several of them surrounding Vader, all holding guns and things. And one of them says, Is it jealousy? You're trapped in your broken form, while I am a mortal. These wonderful machines give me as many lives as I need. 
and Vader says, you are wrong, Silo. That I can kill you repeatedly is by far your most appealing trait. And he goes around and he does exactly that. He goes and kills all of the clones, slicing them and causing havoc and destroying all of the surrounding areas with all the tanks and things they came out of. Then on the bridge of the whale ship, uh, you can see the whale's brain through the floor, like I said in one of the earlier issues, because it's on the bridge. And essentially, Silo's kind of mocking him as per usual. And Vader seems to use a mind trick on the whale ship's brain. So I'm not 100% sure if it is like a, a Jedi mind trick in that regard, or if it's more of one of the, the kind of Sith things where you kind of enter someone's mind and kind of force them in some ways. But to my knowledge, the Sith can't actively force you to do something necessarily. They can kind of you know, move the gun in your hand or throw your body somewhere, but I'm not 100% sure if in canon a Sith can force someone to do something just from almost using a mind trick on them in a sense. So it's quite a Jedi trait. So I think that that is basically what Vader did. He used a Jedi mind trick on the whale ship and it forced it to fly into the sun. And none of the controls would work. Silo's freaking out and Vader just kind of walks to his TIE fighter, gets out and then the whale ship collides and explodes into the sun. So back with Palpatine. Aphra is there and has basically told Palpatine seemingly everything. And Palpatine is very impressed with that. Vader enters and is basically not looking very happy, or rather, seemingly, he can't really tell Vader's facial expressions, but he doesn't seem to be very happy. Palpatine says he'll leave Vader to the girl, while Palpatine goes and speaks with General Taig. So, Vader asks Aphra to go on a walk, and Aphra starts to plead and explain everything to Vader, and there's lots of text and things, but she basically says she didn't talk about Luke, didn't tell her anything about the rebel friend of his, never said anything like that, and that actually it worked out better for the long run, because Palpatine, after hearing all of these things that Vader had done, actually congratulated him and said, this is exactly what I want you to do, you're showing that you're fearsome, you're doing exactly what the Sith would do, um, I thought you were getting kind of dull in a sense, in like not sharp in a way, and you've gone right through it. You've absolutely smashed this, trying to start your own empire, hiding all these things from me. Ah, oh, it's incredible. I'm very proud of you. So Vader leads Aphra to the airlock while she's pleading and things, and she's saying, please, no, I beg of you. I asked for the saber death. Please don't put me into the vacuum of space, because in, I think, the second volume of Vader comics, she says to Vader when she works with him, if you have to kill me, please just put the saber to my neck and ignite it. Nice, quick end. The worst way to die is by being injected into space. So what do you think Vader does? Into the airlock and injects her into space. Then back with Palpatine. Palpatine basically demotes Tague, saying that he's useless, essentially. <laughs> saying that he's failed time and time again. He's got the Super Star Destroyer, but he's been useless. So now he gives the Executor to Vader. So now Vader is in control of the Super Star Destroyer. Take then is groveling. Palpatine says, I'll leave you to deal with your subordinates, Vader. And then Take is groveling and things, saying, like, oh yeah, I did betray you in this way, and I did help Silo go on your side, but, you know, the Star Destroyer is now 4 point something percent better at this, and I've improved these things, and all these statistics and reasons why he should live. And Vader just force chokes him, and he collapses. He then speaks to the next in command, who is a gentleman called Admiral Ozel, and he asks him to have the repairs and ship sorted in two weeks. Ozel says it would take a month, Vader does not agree, so it will get done in two weeks. And just for clarity, Admiral Ozel, you actually see him in Empire Strikes Back. It is just after the attack on Hoth, he actually gets choked. He is one who gets, I think he see him get choked over like um, like a screen, essentially. And then he chokes, he's got a little moustache. He chokes, falls to the ground, and the guy next to him takes over, uh, which is quite standard for Imperials. And 
just for clarity, Ozzel is also in the book Lost Stars. He's in Tarkin, and he will appear in future episodes of the main run of Star Wars comics in the run-up to Hoth, so he'll appear again. But you do see him in Empire Strikes Back get choked. And the last thing you kind of see of Vader is him by himself kind of staring out into space and a, a, a slight vision of him kind of reaching for Luke and Luke kind of reaching for him, but their hands not quite meeting and Vader just thinking soon. And the last parts of this comic are actually Aphra. So she's floating through space and things and just you see her, you're thinking, oh God, she's going to die. And then she floats near this asteroid and this peculiar panel seems to open with this purple light coming out of it. Aphra seems to get pulled into the asteroid and then a ship is visible and then she gets pulled out by Black Chrysanthemum and Triple Zero and BT-1 are there to save her as well and it, essentially she stole credits from which she had on her person which were taken from I think it was the first or second volume of Vader comics it might be the second one where he where she executes that huge heist with Black Chrysanthemum and Triple Zero and the other bounty hunters where all those Imperial credits get shot out into space they manage to catch a few but Black Chrysanthemum manages to get the rest of them they basically use that same tactic almost like a giant magnet in layman's terms and they manage to get her get her onto the ship and then they're like what do you want to do next and Aphra's like well let's never interact with Vader again and then they go off into space and that's basically where the comic ends so that is the end of the run of Vader comics. However, there is one little sort of comic right at the end of it, which is called Coda. Now, I've lightly touched on Coda before um, because I've spoken about Tusken Raiders before, and I think I may have spoken about it actually when it happened. But I'll give a little refresher here. Once again, I don't think this has any text in of any kind, um, so it's, it's definitely a visual comic, and it is it's a fun read, and the art styles in it are quite cool. But very in brief, when Vader went to Tatooine at the start of this whole run of Vader comics, um, when he met with Boba Fett and things, he slaughtered like a whole village of Tuscan Raiders, just kind of right for the sake of it, or because he's still angry about everything. And one of the Tuscan Raiders in that attack basically survived, and they essentially they go back to their tribe, or they get found rather. They make a little fire, they get found, speak to a shaman, and then it turn. Then they all kind of start to realize that Vader's ridiculously powerful and whatever. Obviously, by this point, Vader's long gone. And so they all start to kind of freak out and things. And so they decide to build a giant wicker man that looks like Vader. So a giant wooden statue thing that's made out of like burnable material. And they make it, they worship it. And then the one survivor who told them about Vader and that sort of stuff, they put him into the wicker man and then wicker Vader and then set it on fire. And that's how the comic ends. So they basically sacrifice him because they think Vader is some sort of god who's going to be vengeful and things which in many ways i suppose he is but that's a really cool comic and it's worth a little read as well but i just have to read it a few times to really understand fully what happened but it is still cool and that is the end of the first run of vader comics so that is the vader comics by kieran gillen that is all of them essentially uh it's absolutely incredible it's a lot of fun I'll include a in the description i'll put in the show notes just to clarify what episodes i've spoken about um this vader comic in as well and that's basically it for this episode. So coming up next week, I've got Tony from Indie Comic Spotlight coming on the show. We're going to talk about basically this Vader run, uh, Afro within it, and sort of Afro going forward as well. I haven't fully decided if we're going to in-depth talk about the first volume of Afro comics or not. We'll kind of see how it goes, see where the conversation lies, and see how much fun we have, I guess. And then the week after that, so that'll be number 30. The week after that, I'm going to be doing... 
Age of Republic, which would be number 31. I did the Count Dooku one a couple of weeks back, so now I'm going to do the Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Age of Republic comics. I won't give as much of an in-depth biography on both the characters as I did with Dooku, because Dooku's kind of an air of mystery, whereas almost everything we know about Obi-Wan is basically either in the journals of old Ben Kenobi comics, or in the movies as well as clone wars i suppose he is as well but aside from that he, he doesn't have that many things in canon because he's got such a major role in everything else and also what i'm going to do is once i've done that age of republic with obi-wan and qui-gon things episode 31 for episode 32 i'm going to do from the journals of old ben kenobi so any of you may recall that in the main run of star wars comics every now and then there's a journal of old ben kenobi comic i've been skipping them just to make things less complicated and now that in the main run of star wars comics we've gone past all of those i'm now going to do an episode purely about those then after that i'll do star wars volume 5 which is going to be yoda's secret war that'll be episode 33 and then episode 34 i'm either going to do the first volume of afro comics depending on what next week goes like or i'm going to do the screaming citadel screaming citadel is a crossover event between afro and the main run of star wars comics and is actually how i got more into the star wars comics so next week what i'm going to do is as well as talking with tony about afro as well i'm going to talk about how i got into the star wars comics in general and it is actually solely due to a of mine buying me the first issue of dr afra so it's actually afra is the whole reason i got into the star wars comics why i have this show and it just went from there it's a quite a cool little story i've just given you like the short version there but make sure you tune in next week it's going to be more of a style similar to my other podcast which is genuine chit chat more of a conversational thing because obviously i'm going to have someone else on but i'm really excited always a dream to speak with tony he is one of my favorite people and if you don't already check it out make sure you check out indie comic spotlight which comes out weekly on this very feed of comics in motion aside from that check out my other show genuine chit chat check me out on social media at genuine chits chat on instagram twitter and on facebook and listen to all the other lovely shows on comics in motion that's gonna be enough from me guys and yeah i'll speak to you next week with tony and may the force be with you The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. This week, Comics in Motion has an excellent offer exclusively for our listeners. TKO Comics is revolutionizing the comic industry. They have creator-owned series from heavy hitters like Garth Ennis, Jeff Lemire, Joshua Desart, Roxanne Gay, and many more. If you go to tkopresents.com slash discount slash motion20 and use the code motion20 at checkout, you'll receive a 20% discount exclusively for Comics in Motion listeners. That's tkopresent.com slash discount slash motion20 and use the promo code motion20. Happy reading.